This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Radio America. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Alex Bartholomew, People Stretch Solutions, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Catherine Deming, Business Engineering, Inc., and Katie Brewer. Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Sure. Today we have Abir Ray, founder and director of Expression Networks, Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen, John South, CEO and founder of Patrocinium, and Kate Neville, president of Neville Consulting Services. Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, Abir Ray, founder and director of Expression Networks. Abir, what is Expression Networks? What are you guys doing? We build software uh, for the spectrum operations and electronic warfare market, supporting the Def- Department of Defense. Uh huh. How large or how small is this team? We have 58 employees to date. Uh huh. And how'd you get a job with this company? I founded it uh, in college. Uh huh. How many years ago was that? 22 years ago. So you started this business in college. This is the only job you've ever had. That's correct. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me you didn't have a job before you started this business? Never have. Hmm. Interesting. Where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in Houston, Texas, but grew uh, grew up outside of D.C. Uh-huh. And how many brothers and sisters? One younger sister. And uh, tell us a little bit about your parents' effect on who you were 8 to 14 years old. Uh, my father worked for the Department of State. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, seeing the sacrifices they made... Uh, Where were they from originally? From uh, Calcutta, India. You forgot to mention that. They're first generation, aren't they? They are first generation immigrants. So they moved from Calcutta, India to the United States. Correct. And you and your sister were both born here. And you were talking about what you saw them do. What was that all about? I saw their dynamic, uh, having relationships here in the U.S. You know, everyone kind of uh, wants everything from their partner. They sacrificed everything they had, you know, f- to make sure that my sister and I, you know, grew up comfortably. We had all the opportunity that uh, they could afford for us to have uh, and that we could achieve more than they were able to uh, in their time here. Alex, you want to take it from there, please? So at what point did you start investing more energy and effort to doing better and taking advantage of that sacrifice growing up? We used to go to India every summer uh, to visit family and sort of seeing what they had uh, there and coming back to the U.S., um, you know, made my sister and I both appreciate, uh, you know, what we could achieve here uh, versus, you know, had my parents stayed in India. And, and that ability of seeing the upside, how has that impacted you as a leader and building your company over the last 22 years? I mean, you know, frankly, uh, you know, every day is, uh, um, you know, it's very fortunate to the fact that we're able to do what we're able to do for the Department of Defense. Uh, um, you know, the, f- the freedom that I have in the world uh, to, you know, to live my life the way I can. Um, you know, I put all my energy into, uh, you know, doing as well for our employees and clients as possible. And it's not really hyperbole. So at, at what point did you get a sense of your father's mission for Department of State? Uh, it was later in life. Uh, so uh, he would, you know, when he'd come back from long trips, uh, he would have to write an after action report. And uh, he would relax with my mother, and I would take his notes and actually write those reports. Uh, if I misspelled something or I, you know, uh, erred in the formatting, I would get yelled at. So, uh, you know, he actually taught me, uh, you know, the quality of my own work. And uh, you know, even though I was a glorified secretary, uh, you know, it helped me understand, uh, you know, the impact that he had in the world. What kind of books did you read as a child? What kind of things resonated with you? A lot of science fiction, uh, you know, being an engineer, but also um, I had one famous uh, favorite author, P.G. Woodhouse. He had written a book about the House of Jeeves, uh, the Roaring Twenties, uh, and just seeing and reading about that uh, that life uh, that was, you know, carefree, a different social echelon than I was accustomed to, you know, really has helped me relate to others, uh, you know, through life. 
Did you extrapolate that to how you were going to li- live your life as an adult? Um, somewhat. I mean, it was interesting. The The privilege was in- interesting, but more importantly, uh, you know, there are a lot of social nuances uh, in the different, uh, you know, groups that Bertie Wooster, who's the main character, uh, had uh, interacted with. And, you know, to date, uh, when I was young, I, you know, I didn't have any of those interactions. So it helped me sort of imagine what that might be, you know, as I grew older. What brought you comfort as a child? Um, you know, really, my, you know, my mother, my mother was everything to both my sister and I. Um, you know, she was disciplinarian, you know, she was comfort, uh, you know, she provided, you know, our world. And uh, anytime, you know, I had any kind of issues, it, you know, she was a, a steady rock that we could escape to. Catherine? And who did you look up to um, famous when you were growing up? So uh, this is unusual, but Jim Kelly, even though he never won a Super Bowl ring, uh, the fact that year after year, you know, he'd he'd be at the precipice of winning it all in professional football uh, and then lose and then come back the next year. And I believe he did four years in a row. Just incredible perseverance in my mind. How do you relate to that perseverance in your professional life as an adult now? So over 22 years, you know, we've had great successes, but we've also swung and missed. I think being able to pick yourself up and then, you know, go for the top of the mountain every single time is, you know, is an important characteristic to have, especially, uh, you know, as the owner of a business. Did you learn any of those characteristics from your parents? You know, I, I think from both parents because, you know, they had to live apart for, you know, so much of um, of my life. Um, and they, you know, both, you know, achieved their mission. So for my mother, it was making sure that my sister and I had a you know safe and comfortable home, and that you know you know we didn't veer off the straight straight and narrow path. And then for my father, actually you know serving you know on behalf of the nation, uh, even though his family was you know thousands of miles away, um, you know being able to have that focus. Yeah. What else? You and what about in the green room? You kind of talked about your mom and maybe her street smarts. Can you extrapolate on that? <coughs> sure. So um, you know I've. Um, I've all my sister and I are both very bookish, um, but um, which we get from our father. But my mother was very street smart, and I think uh, in owning a business, uh, navigating you know all the you know all the facets of you know, negotiation and employee interaction, client interaction, um, those skills I learned from her. Um, you know the ones that I use the most, truly. Mm-hmm. Katie, you had a lot of uh, travel that you mentioned mm-hmm. in earlier what kind of impact did that travel have you know again i think if, you know being able to see um you know people live in extreme poverty um in you know different social environments uh you know helped me truly appreciate what you know we had here growing up in the u.s and then uh how does that translate into how you run your business i think the one thing is uh you know in eastern cultures um you know family is paramount not to say that it isn't elsewhere, but I definitely treat my uh, employees as family. Uh, you know, um, seeing uh, the interactions my parents had with their friends and their friends' families, it was really one extended group. And I, I feel like that our employees would feel the same about how we've organized uh, expression. Next question, who's got it? Abir, in the green room, you had shared this top five mindset uh, that, that you told us about. <coughs> The, the squash team. Can you help us understand where that started, uh, 8 to 14? Sure. Um, you know, I think that was one of the things instilled in, into us by, you know, our mother and father is that if you're going to do anything, um, you know, be the best at it. And I've uh, extrapolated that to every aspect of my life, as you would to, an, in, even in playing squash, which I uh, picked up as an adult. Um, you know, I run the local squash league. Um, you know, I've finished in the top five in my uh, age group and skill level in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, having not played racket sports as a child, um, you know, I just kept at it until, you know, I could be, you know, top in what I do. In the green room, you also mentioned locally you attended Jefferson Science and Technology, one of the best high schools in the United States. What impact did that experience have on you? I, th- I think it, um, you know, again, along with my parents, helped me understand that, you know, what I could achieve is practically limitless. Uh, you know, most of my friends from my graduating class at TJ, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, C-level or uh, senior management at, you know, all the Fortune 500 companies. 
Um, you know, there was a level of r- academic rigor that was unlike college or grad school for me that, you know, we found in high school that helped, you know, push that, you know, through the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Mark, last question. So what's the future hold for you personally in Expression Systems? Sure. So, um, you know, we're looking to grow. We recently sold um, a piece of the firm to a private equity firm. So we have, um, you know, a healthy balance sheet, cash on the books to be able to buy other government contractors and, um, you know, become a premier premier provider of electronic warfare services. Sounds to me like you're going to keep on rocking and keep on growing. It's, you know, it's the thing about being the top five. What's the website address of this organization uh, known as Expression Networks. Uh, just uh, Expression.net. Very simple. Expression.net. We've been speaking with Abir Ray, founder and director of Expression Networks here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries and mm-hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm-hmm. parents, mm-hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. This is John Shuhart. Joining us for our Business Spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I. And we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people. And we treat them like, we think of them like, like they're our, our friends. So, so we get to come in and, and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our event, but they are giving us their time and their energy, and that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, I, was, I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line, I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when do you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me, I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is celebratefairfax.com. 
This is John Schuart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive News Radio. This show is Matt We'd like to introduce Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen. Matt, what is Transit Screen? What are you guys doing? We provide software uh, that has live information about all kinds of transportation. So it's uh, metro, bus, Uber, bikes, scooters, you name it. If you see a screen in the lobby of a building that has that information, that's us. Wow. Uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin until I was 11, then moved to Chicago. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? Younger sister and a younger brother. Uh-huh. So what was the effect of this move uh, when you were a kid? Ultimately, it opened up a lot of opportunities. Uh, I moved to a, a, a city and a, a high school that had a lot of different extracurriculars I could get involved in. I had people I was doing computer stuff with. I joined Boy Scouts, got involved in debate, and traveled nationally at a pretty young age in high school. Wait a minute. All right. This is sort of been. How young were you when you started coming up with ideas? Uh, probably when I was, you know, six or, or seven, I was playing with computers, uh, writing software on computers. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, just kind of discovering things for the first time that were new to me that, that maybe people had seen before. But, you know, I had an adventure game. I wanted a monster to appear there, figured it out. And it was just, you know, glorious. How, how did it make you feel when you came up with an idea and you made it happen? You know, that's the kind of thing where you kind of you, you almost want to walk away from the keyboard and say, you know, this, this really feels nice. Uh, what's that have to do with your uh, with your building this thing called Transit Screen? Well, Transit Screen was always something I was interested in, transportation, helping people get around. Um, I, I used to travel. Uh, I was a Ph.D. student, got a Ph.D. in neuroscience, and I was coming back from the lab late at night. I just wanted something to tell me where to go to take the bus and when the bus was coming. And so when I realized that the technology was all there to bring that information together and this was something that, that I could use myself, it really um, it, it gave me a passion to deliver it to others. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that Transit Screen is the one place that I can look where it tells me the best way to get from here to there. That's right, and and the right time to leave, and and all your options, where, what, and when. Wow, what a pleasure. Uh, let's see, who's got the next question here? I think uh, Daniel. Yeah, so Matt, let's um, let's talk a little bit about you know the the childhood friends that you had when you when you moved. Uh, what what kind of a, a role were you taking in that in that group, and and what were you guys doing together? Yeah, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, on, on computers, uh, doing some minor league hacking with computers and, and playing games and, you know, writing software. Um, you know, I was always one of the people kind of bringing new ideas and new technology to, to the group. I had, you know, a, a Commodore Amiga, which was this cutting edge thing for, you know, uh, uh, gaming and programming. And I, I was always the one bringing out some of the, the newest stuff to, to them. Yeah, so you didn't know it at the time, but you were really prepping for, for transit screen back when you were a kid and, and kind of talking with all your buddies. Yeah, it was a little bit, uh, you know, I, I, one of my roles is kind of to be product visionary and, and see what the next thing is. Not all my ideas are great ideas, but, uh, you know, some of them were. Have. Well, one of them was at least. <laughs> More? So, uh, yeah, you had a productive childhood. Um, what kind of books or media did you consume? Uh, I, I read a lot. Uh, I read some fantasy science fiction. Lord of the Rings was, was my favorite there. Uh, I read some literary fiction. Uh, Hemingway, Farewell to Arms, another, another good one for me. Is there any character or, or event that you sort of carry with you over time? For sure. I mean, I, I always identified with these uh, these heroic quest type stories, right? Uh, you know, Joseph Campbell type stories, uh, Star Wars and the like, uh, Frodo Baggins, clearly, and uh, Robert Jordan in, in uh, Farewell Arms, you know, the, um, uh, I'm sorry, for whom the bell tolls. It doesn't always end up in the, in the, in the you know, uh, winning, but uh, you end up with a situation where... Andrew? Yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, who your biggest influence was, mom or dad? Uh, probably my dad. Uh, he was a professor of business. Uh, we uh, we did a lot of stuff together. We used to play chess at, at night. Uh, he uh, really gave me my first job when we were parking cars for Big Ten football games. People would drive in, and we'd fill up the parking lot, take the money, and then uh, buy scalp tickets and go to the game. And so you learned a little bit of uh, business savvy from dad and uh some creativity as well. Uh, for sure. We had to be a little bit creative, uh, you know, with the pricing, with uh, how far away we were from the stadium, with whether we were going to park people in or not after the game. We were a little creative. Mm-hmm. Dwayne? Uh, you mentioned your father was a uh, professor. Do you still, do you, did that make you feel um, academic pressure? Do you, do you still feel that pressure? Uh, I think 
I always thought that I was going to be a professor, uh, you know, a, a scientist, a physicist, or a neuroscientist before I took the turn into uh, technology. A lot of that pressure, uh, you know, indirectly probably came from my father. It was, some of it was uh, very, you know, self-applied at an early age as well. Mm-hmm. Alex? What impact did mom have in those 8 to 14? Uh, my mom had a lot of impact. She was a uh, Spanish teacher, and she quit to, to raise uh, me and my siblings. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom is a, uh, a good listener, and um, she has a style where she really relates to people um, and, and, and builds rapport. Um, that's probably more my leadership style than, than my dad. My dad's a big talker. He likes to fill the room. So how are you applying today what you learned from mom? I think, um, you know, being able to really sit down with someone and understand what their motivations are, what their issues are, what they're going through, um, you know, being able to empathize with them in the moment. I think that's something that I learned from my mom. Now, in the dream, you talked about how she would take you to all these different activities. When you got to high school, um, at what point did the activities start to uh, pressure you or get overwhelming? I never really felt pressured by them. Um, one of the, the first things that happened to me in high school was I was, uh, I was a freshman. I was taking uh, advanced placement calculus. I got a D minus my first quarter. Uh, and uh, it was, it was, I was 13 years old. It was, it was a lot to take on. I was also playing football at the time and had no you know, energy. So that kind of put me on a path where I was never going to be valedictorian of my school. And that took a lot of pressure off to just be a pure academic success. That meant I could concentrate on the things I thought were, were really interesting, whether it was debate or um, uh, quiz bowl or, or other competitions. Um, I was always very competitive. Andrew? So uh, going back to your move and, and bringing it to transit screen, uh, when you moved to Chicago, did you ever feel like an outsider? For sure. It was a big social adjustment for me to go through that. Um, you know, I managed to, to find some groups uh, that were doing activities that I, I cared about, but uh, it definitely uh, forced me to kind of readjust and reintegrate. So yeah, you, th- you said earlier that uh, Transit Screen was born out of uh, grad school or, or, or college when you couldn't find your way. I, I might argue that you needed to find your way at age 11, right? Mm-hmm. You could say that, and also moving to a city that had uh, had public transit that uh, was That's a disaster right. at the time, but has gotten a lot better since then, uh, made a difference to, to my awareness of, of all these options. Yeah, Mark, do you have a question there? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what what does your family think of you now? Um, I'm definitely, uh, you know, the older brother. I'm the role model for, for uh, to some extent, to my, my younger brother. He actually was around when I started the company. He was kind of our communications intern and, and helped a lot out uh, just uh, pro bono. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I still have that role in, in the family. Mm-hmm. But cool. you shared an interesting view in the green room about role models and growing up. Can you explain a little? Yeah, you know, I, I would never, um, you know, discourage people from having role models or, or mentors if they if they want to have them. I just never personally felt the need to have a really strong, you know, role model or a mentor. I always saw people, saw adults more as peers as I was growing up, perhaps because I was advanced in a lot of these ways, math and science and so on. And, um, you know, I think you can you can succeed without having to have you, mentors. You assembled, you assembled a lot of different, you assimilated a lot of different activities, extracurricular activities and adults into your life. So you pick and chose from a bunch of mentors, it sounds like. For sure. And I learned a lot from a lot of teachers along the way. I don't want to say, you know, I, I, I wasn't paying attention, but, but I don't think you need to have a singular mentor. Dwayne? You mentioned uh, your your father being a professor. Did you ever attend his classes, and what what did you take away from his style and, and what you learned from him? Uh, my dad was a business professor. I, I actually kind of steered away from business, as, as, as I mentioned, towards uh, science and other things. Um, but, you know, he, he's a great improviser and, and extemporizer. And just being able to kind of flow, that was one of the things when I was debating, that was one of the things I was very good at. And I think I learned that from him. Well, what's that have to do with uh, being the CEO of Transit Screen, this flowing thing? Well, uh, transit screen is all about maintaining a flow state when you're traveling. But, um, you know, I think more generally, uh, you have to be able to, to, you know, pitch people, to engage people, um, you know, just like we're talking right now. And it didn't come naturally to me. And, and that was something I had to learn. Well, it sounds to me like you also had a diversity of interests as a kid, which is an important as a CEO of an organization, especially where you're integrating all this information. It sounds like you were integrating a lot of information back when you were a kid. Same thing you're doing nowadays. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's one one of my many jobs as a CEO is to be able to you know be the the nervous system of the organization to take that information in and and route it to the right person without you know causing a whole uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gridlock. What's the website address of Transit Screen? Transitscreen.com. Let me know that one more time. Transitscreen.com. And we'll be speaking with Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen, running Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Your name is Brendan Herbert, and the name of the organization. Infinity Wellness Partners. And what is Infinity Wellness Partners? We're a corporate wellness provider based here in Washington, D.C. And what do you do for your clients? We provide comprehensive wellness programs. And what, what, what do you mean by a comprehensive wellness program? So everything uh, on-site and online, we bring activity classes, workshops, staff-wide challenges, and health coaching are four major aspects. So your clients are the corporations that bring you in to provide these wellness programs for their employees. Absolutely. Do they get a return on their investment? Uh, they sure do. Between 3 and $5 over a five-year period for comprehensive programs. And how would they get that return on investment? What's that made up of? Uh, well, our programs are made up of, like I mentioned before, you know, everything from one-on-one coaching and different levels of engagement to uh, staff-wide, you know, walking challenges or weight loss challenges. And the benefit to the company is that they've got healthier and happier employees that stick around longer? Absolutely. More loyalty, less absenteeism, more productivity, um, you name it, all the benefits, all the value. How long have you been doing this? Uh, six years. And what do you enjoy about this? Um, I enjoy the one-on-one contact. I originally started as a one-on-one health coach and now am able to touch many more lives through our corporate programs. What do you mean a one-on-one health coach? What's a one-on-one health coach do? Uh, Helping with behavior change, um, looking at all aspects of life to to try to help with their So if I've got some personal issues going on, like I like to lose (laughs) weight or whatever it might be, you would be talking to me about that stuff? I'd probably recommend you to one of our teammates, huh. one of our team members. That's sort of interesting. That's really neat. What's the, what's the name of this organization again? Infinity Wellness Partners. What's your website address? Uh, it's infinitywellnesspartners.com. Let me have that one more time. Infinitywellnesspartners.com. And this has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, It's not a traditional hotel. Mm -hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, Mm -hmm. because of our size, Mm -hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the corporate 100, corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm-hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What, what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm-hmm. uh, the two and a half years, taking mm-hmm. uh, the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in 2014 with Excellent. the new, new ownership. We've literally doubled the revenue. And what's, so. your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, uh, we're involved with branding, mm-hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and um, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events what's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me have that one more time www.conferencecenter.com This has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, and we'd like to introduce John South, CEO and founder of Petrocinium. John, what is Petrocinium? What are you guys doing? Petrocinium is a communications and visualization solution for saving lives. Huh. How large or how small is this organization? Uh, we're roughly 35 employees right now. We'll probably go to 100 in the next 12 months. Where did the venture capital come from to start this business? Uh, The idea came the day after the Boston bombing when I wrote the patent on a napkin at a bar. And I took my life savings from 17, my 401k, and every dollar I've ever saved and invested in the company. How old were you when you started the company? 44 years old. 
So from the time you were 17 until you were 44, any money you saved, you dumped into this company. I did. Wow. Where were you from originally? I grew up in a small town in California called Nevada City. A small town in California called Nevada. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I'm the oldest of three, and I have two younger sisters. Two younger sisters. Okay. Alex. John, in the green room, you shared with us that one of your sisters was adopted. What, what impact did that have on you, having an adopted sister from Korea? Uh, well, growing up in a very small town where my dad was a local police officer and my mom was a nurse, um, we never had a lot of exposure to anything outside Nevada City. So when my sister came in from South Korea, I was very protective of having a new sister um, who'd never been to the United States. And you know, Protective? What do you mean protective? Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, the older brother, trying to do the best I can for a little girl who barely spoke English and had to go to school and be part of our lives. So how's that translated today with what you're doing at Petrosinium? Well, I think my whole life's been some sort of roadway for creating what we do today, whether my time in the military or as a police officer or my time in the Middle East after 9-11 to help develop a solution that could be used by anybody in the United States or the world related to today's activities of shootings and incidents. How, how young were you when you were involved with law enforcement or had an interest? 24 years old. Wasn't there something that happened at 14 or something like that earlier? Uh, 14 with my father, who had been a police officer and then went on to seminary, was a very um, stout Christian and police officer. So he decided to bring home about $25,000 of narcotics and sit me down in the living room and lay them all out and told me that if I've ever touched any of them, I'd end up in juvenile hall and he'd sign the paperwork. Uh, what, what, how'd that affect you? What, what, what you? How'd that make you feel? Um, it set the path for me to always be as ethical and focused as possible for the rest of my life on doing the right thing. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I understood. So did you have a pretty traditional educational path? No, um, mine was probably quite the opposite. I uh, joined the Army at 17. Um, my parents had gone through a divorce, and I was in the last mass unit that deployed to the first Gulf War. Um, I was fortunate enough not to have to go, and then I ended up going to college in my 30s, right before 9-11, um, and then deployed to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Mark? And um, yeah, so how would you feel about yourself growing up? Um, I was always very driven. Um, I wasn't very popular. I didn't read a lot of books. I wasn't very good at school. What I realized is I was very good at work. And as I entered the workforce and excelled in certain areas, I realized that education was another stepping stone to help me do better in all my careers. If you if you worked hard, did you work differently than others? I did. Uh, my work ethic is probably the one thing that is my driving force, even as a CEO. Mm-hmm. What was your first job? My first job was mowing lawns at 12 years old. And so how did you differentiate yourself from, I assume, several other 12-year-old boys mowing lawns? Uh, well, instead of playing sports, um, my parents wanted me to make sure I had a work ethic, and if I wanted new clothes and stuff for school, I had to do it. And the upside was I was pretty good at it, so I started making more money than my mother after a few years. What did your mom do? My mom was a nurse. She was a part-time nurse when my father went to seminary. Was there a lot of money in the house at that time? There was not. Why not? Uh, my father was running a nonprofit chaplaincy program by going to the seminary. So is it possible that one of the that one of the reasons you started mowing lawns when you were 12 or 13 was because there wasn't a lot of money in the house and you wanted to help make a difference? Probably. What'd you do with the money? Uh, well, when I wasn't spending it on foolish stuff, I was saving it. Uh-huh. So you learned about being resourceful as a kid. And that you could really make a difference as a kid. Yes? Yes, sir. What's that have to do with what you're doing nowadays, this resourcefulness and this ability to make a difference, the confidence you can make a difference? Well, nowadays, I mean, what we focus on as an organization with my staff, who ranges in ages from 20 to 50, is how to save people's lives. At a time where everyone has a cell phone, incidents are continuing to become more dynamic, as we are seeing in the news every day. Um, we focused on the capability to design and implement a system that could keep people safe globally. But John, you're being very humble. In the green room, you talked about innovation and the speed needed to make an impact. Can you expound on that? Yeah, so one of the things I mentioned in the green room is I think very tactical. As my board would say, I think very, very fast and talk faster. Um, with that, when incidents happen, normal software, historically, if you even look at the challenges with 911, you can't find people. We took the time and dynamics to think tactically, real time, if something goes wrong, how to account and save people's lives in seconds, not days. Mm-hmm. Katie? What kind of advice would you give to your 10-year-old self? Um, it's okay to fail. It's okay to pick yourself up and keep trying. At the end of the day, um, failure is what makes most of us better. 
What kind of uh, philanthropic activities do you have or have had or would like to have? Uh, as I get older, I think some would be related to cancer or Parkinson's. My father has Parkinson's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've had a great run. When, when you think back, uh, w- w- did you think you would be going straight into Army when you were in high school, or did you have other aspirations uh, as you were possibly getting a few speeding tickets? Uh, well, at the time, the judge thought the Army would be a better option than Juvenile Hall, so I chose the Army. But you talked about having a passion for driving fast. Yeah, I did. Um, as a child, obviously, before Fast and Furious was developed, I was probably could have been in the movie. I was racing cars and getting in trouble, but it was better than doing drugs. Uh huh. So you you um, you're unconventional, very much so. Uh huh. And uh, how has being unconventional as a kid helped you as an entrepreneur? It's made me think way outside the box. Um, we've been fortunate enough as far as an organization, whether the companies I ran for um, supporting the State Department to what I do today, is the capability to be unconventional, to solve problems faster. So you have an unconventional mind which allows you to solve problems differently and faster, right? Correct. Uh-huh. And um, uh, do you ever see yourself retiring? <laughs> I get asked that a lot. Um, I think at some point I will. I think it would be nice to relax. And I've spent, you know, 33 years of my life in some sort of combat zone, law enforcement, or some sort of incident-driven life. Uh-huh. How do you relax right now? Uh, I usually work on my yard. Your yard is pretty big, though, right? It is. It's a couple acres. I spend time outside on the weekends, uh, moving a tractor around and... Could you park in the garage here this morning? I could not. Uh-huh. <laughs> More? So, you know, you talked about being protective of your sister and you, you know, your company is about saving lives. Um, How protective are you about your employees? Very much so. Um, One of the methodologies that I use when I developed the company, even though I use my own money, we're a very West Coast company. Every employee got stock. So I incentivize them for the company to perform. (coughs) The better it performs, the better that they get. And that's not a thing that's offered a lot in the defense industry on the East Coast. How about that? Katie, what are you thinking? Tell me a little more about uh, your mom and the impact she had on you growing up. Uh, My mom was a very hard worker. I mean, as a child, she worked at the phone company, which was uh, Bell South, if I remember correct. And then she put her throat through college in her 30s as well. Um, That's how she became a hospice nurse. So my mom was kind of the home role model while my father was working on the nonprofit and going to school. Are you more like your mom or dad? Ooh, that's a tricky question. I think I got the best traits of both of them. What do you mean? No, I mean, my mom's, you know, very driven, very focused. She's an artist, so mm-hmm. she thinks outside the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father is very passionate, very ethical, mm-hmm. um, and very driven to save lives. So mm-hmm. in that capacity, I kind of took the best of both and made who mm-hmm. I am today. I guess um, the, the upside of being the CEO and founder of Petrocinium is you get to go into work at uh, 10 or 11 o'clock. You get to leave at 3 or 4. You have long lunches, right? I wish. No. Um, no, unfortunately not. What um, time do you start work in the morning? I usually get up at 5.30. Um, uh-huh. I'm usually doing emails by 8. I'm on the road and at the office by 8.30, and I'm usually doing meetings till 9 o'clock at night, especially with our overseas activities. Uh-huh. You don't have to work weekends, do you? Unfortunately, sometimes I do, but that's okay. Does it feel like work? Um, honestly, of course, there's some days that it does. I mean, when you take a startup um, for six years and build something completely from scratch, there's failures and successes. Um, obviously, some of the clients that we're working with in the United States and abroad are very large, and we feel very fortunate to have the, the opportunity to work with them. So we're happy to do the work. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, what is, what's the website address for this organization known as Petrocinium? Pretty simple. It's patrocinium.com. How do you spell it? P-A-T-R-O-C-I-N-I-U-M.com. Speaking with Mr. John Smith, John South, CEO and founder of Petrocinium here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, or more about our executive leaders. We're back in a moment right after this break. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, Some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, 
the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why, why'd you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? Oh hell no! It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Bostonbid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more Boston time. Bostonbid.com. It's B A. Give me the spelling on that. B A L L S T O N B I D dot com. Excellent. Your name again is Tina Leone. And the name of the organization is the Boston Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow assuming you've ser you're serious about your success serious about your own success because it all starts with the leader if you're serious about creating your own successful business are truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Kate Neville, who's the president of Neville Consulting Services. Kate, what is Neville Consulting Services? What are you doing? We do executive coaching and leadership development mm -hmm. for executives and their organizations. Mm -hmm. Where are you from originally? Well, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. My parents divorced when I was two, mm -hmm. so I grew up in, going in between, back and forth, Houston, Texas, and Manhattan. How many brothers and sisters do you have? That's also complicated. Um, I grew up somewhat as an only child, but I had two step-siblings and two half-siblings. Uh, so how young were you when you started figuring stuff out? Uh as long as I can remember, I've been trying to figure stuff out. Give me an example. Uh, the dynamics between uh, my parents, certainly, and going back and forth between those households. There was a big cultural difference, socioeconomic Tell us about the two different households. Give us the specifics. Uh, my father worked for a global corporation and did finance. My stepfather was a Presbyterian minister. Where'd your father live? Where'd your stepfather live? Uh, as I was growing up, my father lived in Manhattan on mm -hmm. the Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. um, my stepfather, uh, he met, we moved to Georgia when my mother married him, and then Texas. 
So, uh, all right. So you have a dad who's living in New York, Manhattan, and a father who's and a stepfather that's living where? Uh, he had been in uh-huh. Athens, Georgia. Uh-huh. He got a job in Houston, and Texas. And he was a minister. He was a preacher. Yeah, minister, he was a Presbyterian huh? minister. Uh-huh. So you really do it with that economy there. What did what, you pick up from that? How did that affect you? I think it helped me learn to interact with uh, all kinds of people uh, from different backgrounds and be able to communicate with them and see what we had in common. Alex? In the green room, you talked about your first job. Tell us about when you started making money as a teenager. Sure. Uh, When I was 18, I wanted to spend the summer in Austin with my friends. I was told I had to get a job before I graduated. The job I could find was working at Arby's. I was there two weeks and moved to Godfather's Pizza because there was less grease involved. Well, What did you learn from that short stint in both places? I actually think customer service and dealing with people who have a very different background than you do. And how's that translated to what you're doing today? Uh, In the workforce, we help people become leaders. Just because you're smart and very good at what you do and have technical expertise does not mean you're going to be successful as a leader or a manager. It's building a team, people with different backgrounds. They bring different things to the table, but it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. obvious what that is. Mark? So your job right now is to develop leaders. What was your impression of what a leader was growing up, and how did that manifest itself in your own life? I think it mainly had to do, in my mind then, with academics. Um, I was someone who's a kid who spent a lot of time in the library and was good at reading, and teachers put me in charge sometimes of, you know, we were assigned by various reading group levels, and she would tell me, she was only one teacher in the classroom, that I needed to go help kids who were not in as high level. Why, why, why would she ask you to do that? Because uh, she knew I was good at it. And good at what? At certainly the reading and the academic piece, but nah. I think also explaining things. Oh, that's why she asked you to be in charge of the other kids. Help them understand. Stuff. Catherine? So was that hard uh, to be put into that leadership role? It was. Um, you know, I felt proud at one level, but socially it was awkward trying to be in charge of your peers. Did you ever get called bossy? Yeah, uh, that probably happened every once in a while. And at that point, I didn't really care. I was focused on what I wanted to do. I really grew up in as an only child for the most part. And uh, it was later that I learned actually developing relationships is a big part of that. And bossy is not necessarily the most effective way to get the job done. What kind of childhood games did you play um, as an only child, a somewhat only child? Uh, I was not an athlete. I, you know, I think the aerobics phase started uh, towards the beginning of my teenage years. But before that, it wasn't about sports. Um, I'm not a big fan of board games growing up. People were very competitive. Um, my step-parents, I remember. My How uh, about, various siblings. Tell us about playing office. Ah, I did play office. I had friends. I had a close friend, and she and I have a very strong memory of setting up the dining room table with the stapler and the phone and the papers. And how, and how does that translate into sort of what you're yeah, doing how today? how were you when you were doing that? Sure. I was probably 9, 10. And what's that have to do with what you're doing nowadays? I think it's helping people be successful and satisfied in the workplace specifically. Yeah, all right. Good. Katie. You grew up with half-siblings and step-siblings, yep. and at some points you were living with them, and some points you weren't. Correct. What kind of role did you have with your siblings and step-siblings? Sure. I um, was scared. I liked the company, having been um, most of the time by myself, but um, I became, I would say, more of a chameleon. I was trying Tell to fit more. in. Tell me more. What does that mean? It means, you know, again, very different households, very different environments, and I kind of held back and absorbed a lot of data, and then when I did speak up... What's the benefit of your being scared and holding back and uh, gathering a lot of data? How's that had a positive effect on your career? I think I have empathy for people in very challenging situations, especially people who are, as they say, book smart, but not necessarily understand the management Is that part of what you do for a living? Absolutely. What do you mean? Helping people understand that being kind of an individual performer, you could be as good as you want, but that doesn't mean you where, know where, how you, to manage. Where, where'd you people. go to college? I went to Princeton. And where else? 
Uh, then I went to law school. I went to Harvard. So you went to Princeton and Harvard, and you have a law degree. I do. And you practiced law for a limited period of time. I did. Uh-huh. How come you went to Princeton and Harvard, got a law degree at Harvard, and decided not to do law, but are doing what you're doing now? I don't understand that. Yeah. I, you know, for those who like it, nothing against practicing law, but I felt it was way too narrow, that the focus was, are you arguing that you're on this side of the line or that As side of the line? As opposed to what's broader about what you're doing now. The broader is looking at the big picture and thinking, how do you make this work better? It's figuring out the people like you were doing in your childhood, weren't you, when you're, you're living in Georgia, you're living in Manhattan? Yes, absolutely. The Mark? way to address fear, I think, is developing relationships with people. G- okay, give me that again. What was that again? I think the way to address fear is developing relationships with people. Wait a minute. I thought safety was money. You're telling me it's <laughs> different? I've met a lot of unhappy rich people, so I don't think it is money necessarily. So you've gone through that, you know, Princeton and Harvard, and maybe it has to do with a lot of money, but you decided it had to do with relationships. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I understood. Mark? What, what drove you as a child, both internally and externally? Uh, I was driven to please my father. He lived a long way away, and I wanted to make sure he didn't forget about me and that he was proud of me. How did you do that? Academic success. I hit the books. Um, I spent a lot of summers doing the library reading competition. Uh, I wanted to show that I was smart. (coughs) In the green room, you said, I was really good at school, but not at work. Can you explain that comment based on all the good things you've been able to do? Uh, Sure. I think the lesson I learned over time is, you know, being the smartest person in the room doesn't mean you're going to be successful in life or at work, Mm -hmm. that you need to be able to develop relationships. And, you know, emotional intelligence is, I Mm -hmm. think, the differentiating factor for leaders. Tell me a little bit about your mom. What did your mom teach you? Uh, My mother, I would say the lesson I took from her is you have to have joy in your life. Really, what is the point unless there's some joy here? And how does that translate into your life? I think I help leaders figure out how to incorporate joy. It's very stressful out there. And, uh, you know, whatever brings them joy, whatever brings anyone joy, there's no judgment there. It's just making sure that you take some time so that you replenish what you're putting out there. Catherine? Is there a point in time that you can that you can point to about where this switch of just self-awareness that's so <laughs> evident with you? Uh, it you know it developed over time um i'm 53 now and uh i think you know it's not great to age but age does it's true the cliche age brings wisdom but i would say it was very important to me to get married and to have a family and to never get divorced and in order to do that you have to have to develop a relationship and parenting as well so i'm proud uh, that it's been boy you're really like putting yourself to the test don't you (laughs) you know you're not escaping from yourself you're really facing who you are well you know everybody prioritizes what's important to them and that's what was important to me what was being able to have a life outside of work that you know being book smart and successful academically is not what i wanted all of my life to be what's the website address of this organization known as uh, neville consulting services it is exactly that neville consulting services.com we've been speaking with kate neville president of neville consulting services and mark can you please give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity of speaking with today sure today we've talked to abir ray founder and director of expression networks Matt Kaywood, CEO of Transit Screen, John South, CEO and founder of Petrocinium, and Kate Neville, president of Neville Consulting Services. I would like to thank my co-hosts, Alex Bartholomus, People Stretch Solutions, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Catherine Deming, Business Engineering Inc., and Katie Brewer for giving me a hand structuring the questions. They'll be providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. I want to thank you for joining us today and have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.